This morning, I want to jump in. Let's learn something. Can we do that? Let's learn something together. So you got your Bibles open to Ephesians 1 because for the next four weeks, I want to talk to you about something. We want to simply have this conversation with you. <clears throat> we want to talk to you about prayer. I can, see in your, I can already see in your eyes some of you are going to say, oh, here we go again, right? Because you came to church, expected somebody to talk about prayer, right? You expect to hear that in church. Because here's what you know, Bible is full of talking about prayer. We know in the Bible, prayer is powerful, the practice of prayer, the personal passion of prayer, the consistency, the persistence of prayer. Bible is full of prayer. You expect preacher to talk about prayer. You came, I told you I'm going to talk about prayer. Some of you are like, oh boy, I heard that a million times. Some of you are like, I expected to hear something at some point in time about prayer. But can we just cut through all that and say this? Can we just be honest this morning? Can we be honest? Can I ask you a question? Don't raise your hand right away. Can I ask you a question? How many of you in the room would honestly say, you know, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in prayer. I pray. And I believe the Bible teaches prayer and I believe all of that. I believe in the power of prayer. But if you were honest, you'd say, I know that I simply do not pray enough. Anybody in the room feel that way? Raise your hand. Anybody in that? Yeah. Just look around. You're in good company. You're in really good company because the guy that's going to teach you this is in the same company as you, right? You see, here's what I know. Here's what I know. We just find it better to be honest. We have this weird relationship with prayer. We honestly do, like, like all across this room, if I kind of dug into you with a conversation, probably the weird relationship is for all kinds of reasons, right? There's all kinds of reasons we, but some of us, it's because of how we were taught to pray. Some of us, the way we were taught to pray is we have these memorized prayers. Some of you are there, right? And so we pray these memorized prayers, whatever it might be, you know? Maybe it's our Father who art in heaven, and so that's, that's the way we pray. Others of us, right before we went to bed, our parents prayed with us, Lord, I lay me down to... Sleep, I pray, my soul to, and if I, <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to take. I hope you sleep well, sweetheart, right? It's the craziest thing we teach our kids, right? Like, I can't figure out why my kid won't sleep. I'd, think I'd pick a different prayer, you know what I'm saying? Or, or God is great, God is good. There you go. So, I, man, you kind of wavered off. And I grew up in the mountains. We just said, thank you for the meat. Let's eat. That's kind of what we did, right? But some, some of us that we grew up with these memorized prayers. And so that kind of gets in the way of how we relate with praying. Others of us, we have a shop. Some of you are shopping list prayers, right? You got like 40, 11 different things and you pray for every, like boom, boom, right down the shopping list. Some of us in the room, we have this relationship where we get bored praying. In fact, don't raise your hand. Don't tell anybody. Don't look at him. But when you pray, I know no one else knows it. You actually fall asleep when you're praying, right? Anybody like that? You just kind of like, oh Lord, just like that, right? And then some of us, we have this weird relationship because we're ADD. Don't raise your hand. Don't look at anybody, but we're ADD. And so that ADD gets involved in our prayer life, right? So we pray with great intention. like, oh God, I come into your presence and I need a miracle. Miracle thing makes me think of miracle whip. And when I think of miracle whip, I think of sandwich. And when I think of sandwich, I think I'm hungry. And all of a sudden we're in a different place in our mind, right? And then others of us, if we're honest, we're very intimidated with this whole thing of prayer. 
In fact, your biggest fear is you'll come to a meeting like, oh, they might ask me to pray out loud, right? We would never do that to you. Or, or, or maybe you've been in a meeting. I, you know, I'm a pastor and, and sometimes I feel uncomfortable with this, right? You go to a place, you don't know anybody and they get in a circle and they want you to hold hands and pray, right? And so in, I always get beside the guy that the more they pray, the harder he squeezes, right? Like, Lord, and I'm like, let go, right? Or have you ever been somewhere and you're intimidated with praying because there's people in the room that are really good at praying? And you listen to them like, Lord, I hope they don't ever ask me to pray because when they pray, like they're quoting the book of Ezra and they're like, oh Lord, call down and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, if they ever call me to pray, all of a sudden what happens is I get competitive with my prayers, right? Oh God, you're so good. You're like a good neighbor. (laughs) God, I love your word. It melts in my mouth, not in my hands, right? <laughs> like, like, we don't know how to pray. We try to keep up. Or you ever been with somebody? I know you've never experienced this, right? You ever been with somebody, and you've never done it, but, but instead of praying, they preach with their prayer. You ever been with somebody like that? Like, they're not really praying, they're preaching. Usually moms are good at this. Don't look at them. Moms are really good at this, right? Particularly if you haven't been to church in a while, and your mom wants you to go to church, and you happen to go to her house for dinner, and said, let's pray. She's like, oh, Lord, I thank you for the importance of going to church every week. And they look at you, right? You see, we have this weird relationship with prayer. And it intimidates some of us, and some of us, we get lost in it. If we're honest, when most of us pray, we pray reactively. We have reactive prayers. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean by that? We pray when there's sickness, when there's crisis, when there's a problem, right? It's, it's the 9-11 kind of praying. Raise your hand if you remember 9-11. I just want to see who I'm talking to in the room. It's interesting, right? Okay, so we, I remember I was a pastor in Indiana and our building was full the night of 9-11. Totally full. Everybody wants to pray. Why? There's a crisis. There's a problem. I've been a pastor 26 years. I cannot, right off the top of my head this moment, think of a time when somebody said, hey, Pastor Dan, will you come pray with us and everything in their life was going well. Like, I can't think of somebody saying, hey, Pastor Dan, why don't you come over and pray with us? Because everything is awesome. And we just want you to, like, usually you get called to pray with somebody when things are bad. And so we have this reactive, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But here's what's interesting in the Bible. Ready? In the Bible, when you read the guy who wrote the most books in the New Testament, his name is Paul, you read that he not only tells us to pray, but he actually tells us how he prayed. And when Paul prayed, this is fascinating, he prayed not reactively, but proactively. And when you read his prayers, you come away realizing that dude prayed different than I do. In fact, I want to show you that. Look at your Bibles, Ephesians 1. Let's just take it chunk by chunk. Here's the way it begins. I want you to start verse 15. He says, for this reason, we got to stop already because what reason? Well, the first 14 verses, chapter one, he states some magnificent things. He says, listen, that when you say yes to Jesus, you're chosen by God, loved by God, that Jesus died for you so that you could have a forgiveness of your sin, a forever relationship with God. And at that moment, you are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing more That literally spirit of God lives inside, you're sealed, secured, your identity comes from Christ. This is fascinating, it's all interesting to me. That when Paul prays, he says for this reason, because the majority of times that Paul prays, he doesn't pray for people that they'll have something they don't already have. When he prays, he prays that they'll understand what they already have in Christ. It's interesting. 
So he starts by saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, a lot of people today would say they're people of faith, but here's what Paul says. It's not enough to be a person of faith. Your faith has to be fixed somewhere or in someone. Your faith in the Lord Jesus. And when your faith is fixed in the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden it begins to display itself in love for all God's people. Verse 16, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says, that he has this selfless way of saying, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And he says, I remember you in my prayers. Here's what I want you to know. Paul, the guy who's writing this, is writing this, get ready, worth writing down, in prison. <laughs> He's praying for them in prison. It's interesting. And he's in prison unjustly. And yet his mind goes immediately. I think of you guys, I thank God for you and I pray for you. Well, how does Paul pray for them? Let's read the whole chunk and then let's go back and rip it apart. Verse 17, he says, here's what I do. I keep asking. I read an author this week that said prayer is interrupting heaven. So let's say it this way. I keep interrupting heaven and asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He goes on, he says, I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened and enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. By the way, that power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's make two quick observations. First is this, that guy prayed different than I pray many times. Chances are I'm not alone. The second thing is we read that whole chunk and like, there's a part of you like, what's he saying? Like how in the world did he pray? So I wanna spend the next four weeks, we're gonna kind of rip it apart one at a time. And all I want to look at today is verse 17. Look at it with me. Verse 17, I wanna show you something. He says, I keep asking or I keep interrupting heaven and here's what I interrupt heaven and keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And here's why I'm praying. Look at this. So that, you ought to underline that in your Bible, so that you may know him, God, better. Here's the point. What if we prayed different? How? What if we prayed to know God better? I want you to write that down somewhere. What if our prayer was to know God better? What if we pray as individuals, God, help me know you better? What if dad in the room, that was your prayer for your family? What if wife in the room, what if that was the prayer for your husband? A girlfriend in the room, what, what if that was the prayer for your boyfriend? Grace group leaders in the room, what if that was the prayer for your grace group? What if that was some of you and I challenge you, I double dog dare you, what if if some of you took it upon yourself to pray for the five that you saw in this video that way, I pray that Max would know you better. I pray that Sydney would know you better. You see, when Paul prayed, that's the way he prayed. He prayed, I want them to know you better. Now stay with me a second. Here's what's fascinating. I want to, I want to show you something. 
Remember, Paul is praying and he's writing this from where? Prison. And he's writing this to real people in a real situation. And the people he's writing to are followers of Christ. They're part of the church, but they're in a place that is morally decayed. They're in a place where spiritual darkness is everywhere. Everybody's doing their own thing. In fact, it is so, it is so dark, so decayed that the most popular place people worshiped was they worshiped the goddess Diana. And literally their worship service was a sexual orgy where there was all kinds of sexual immorality in their culture. Everywhere you look, there's all this sexuality and this this moral decay. Why is that interesting? Don't miss this because I'm curious and interested that when Paul prayed, he didn't pray, oh God, I pray that you'd change their circumstances. Paul didn't pray that way. But instead he said, I pray that they would have spiritual insight to know you better, God, in the middle of less than ideal circumstances. Why is that important? Can we just be honest this morning? Can we be honest? It is easy and almost a reflex of our spirit to pray that God would change our circumstances. That's normally how we pray. Don't we? Can I get an amen on that? Don't we? God, please make my circumstances better right? God, please let the girl I'm asking out say yes. Amen? God, please let the Browns win. Can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) Right? God, please let me get an A on that test. God, please make it easier in this culture we live to be a follower of Christ. God, please, if you would just allow the person who shares my political platform to get elected... I feel like everything would be easier. Paul doesn't pray that way. Instead, Paul prays that we would know God better, that he would know God better, that you would know God better. Because can I tell you something? That God could change all your circumstances, make it easier for you to be a follower of Christ. The guy that you want to be elected could get elected. The girl could say yes. The Browns could win and you could get an A on your test and still not know God. And so what Paul is saying is this, I want this to happen because if this happens, then it would change everything in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of your marriage, in the life of our church, if we would know him better. So how in the world does that happen? Well, look back at your Bibles. I'm gonna show you something. I don't really make it a habit of doing this. If you're reading from the NIV, it says, I pray that you may give them a spirit or the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not really, when, when you, this originally was written in a language called Greek, you can forget that. But there is no article in front of spirit. You can forget that, but it's not literally the spirit because the minute you say yes to Jesus, spirit of God resides inside. But what he says is a spirit, an attitude, a disposition of wisdom and revelation. This is worth writing down somewhere on your notes. What in the world is wisdom and revelation? Wisdom is truth that's experienced. Revelation is truth that's revealed. Wisdom is truth that's experienced. Revelation is truth that is revealed. And so what Paul is praying, I want wisdom and revelation, truth that is revealed to combine with truth that is experienced in a way that they would know you better and both are important. 
it begs two questions. I want you to write these down and then we'll be done. First is this. I got to ask myself, do I know the truth revealed about God? I got to start here. Do I know the truth revealed about God? Do I intellectually know the truth revealed about God? You're saying, Dan, why is that so important? Here's why. Because some of you are in the room right now, and I'm so glad you're here if this is you. Just talked to a guy this last week. And you're rejecting a God. You ready? And if you're here, you're like, I'm just exploring, but this God thing, uh-uh. You're rejecting a God that you know nothing about. So some of you are here this morning, and you're like saying, no way, God. But you know nothing about him, and you don't even know the God you're rejecting. Some of you are like, yeah, that's true. Well, let's think the other way. Some of you, you ready? This one might be curious. Some of you this morning are here and you're worshiping a God you really don't know that much about. The fact of the matter is, if we're honest, a lot of us have a secondhand knowledge of God. Like the things we know about God, well, granny told me or... I listened to this famous celebrity sing this song and they said this about God and so God is, you know, or I watched the History Channel and now I know God must be. But, but if we're honest, a lot of us have a secondhand knowledge of God. And so for many of us in the room are worshiping God we really don't know or we might even be rejecting a God that we don't know. And the only way for me to know about God, this is so interesting, the only way you can know God is if he reveals himself to you. A spirit of revelation. And so that's why Paul says, I want them to have the spirit of revelation because the only way for me to know the truth about God is if he reveals himself. Well, how does he do that? Three quick ways. I want you to, to follow with me. First is found in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Write this down somewhere on your notes. God reveals himself in his creation. Those of you who enjoy this kind of stuff, theologians call this general revelation. This is the general revelation of God, that literally he reveals himself. You already know this to some degree, because if you stand out underneath of the stars on a crisp night, a, a clear night, or if you take a drive in the peak of fall in the mosaic of colors that show up on the trees, or if you study the detail of a butterfly's wings, or you climb a mountain and you have this breathtaking view, here's what you know, that this world we live on is this canvas that somehow displays this grand artwork. And behind every masterpiece of art is an artist. And so creation simply is a canvas that points to the fact that there is a God whose power is awesome. His creative imagination is beyond my understanding. His, his, his love for detail and design is mesmerizing. And somehow creation is this way that God just reveals things about himself. But it's not the only way he reveals himself. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this, 
it says that God reveals himself in his word. It says in verse 20, above all, 2 Peter 1, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what theologians call special revelation. You can forget that. But God reveals himself in his word. That literally creation is this canvas on which his artwork is, and we look and say, the artwork points to an artist, the creator. But this book, listen close, this book is his story. And this story points to an author. So important because I wanna tell you something. It tells me something about reading the Bible. For some of you who grew up in church, I wanna tell you something about reading the Bible, that I never read the Bible simply for the sake of reading the Bible. I saw some of your faces like, what, preacher said that? Uh Uh-uh. Some of, you, some of you, maybe that's what you do. You read the Bible simply for the sake of reading the Bible. So you say, check. Read your Bible, pray every day, right? And I just check, I got that done, right? But I always read the Bible, why? To find God, to hear God. Because the Bible, his story reveals God's character. It reveals God's heart. It reveals God's mind. It reveals God's will. It reveals God's plan. It reveals God's purpose, You see, the creator didn't just create. The author of the Bible didn't just narrate. But here's what's interesting. John chapter one, we'll throw it on the screen. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God is in closest relationship with the father. He has made him known. What's he saying? He's saying the God that narrates scripture, the God that creates creation is also a God who incarnates. He became a person. And that God reveals himself in Jesus. You see, what he's saying is this. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would do, look at Jesus. If you want to know what's important to God, look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. You see, we have a God who says, you can know the truth about me. And for some of us in this room right now, this minute, we are worshiping a God or maybe rejecting a God we don't know all that much about. And maybe, maybe the simplest way for us to walk out of here, the simplest implication is this, is I'm simply gonna take five minutes every day this week and step out into the canvas of his creation Because here's what I know. If I will begin to look at the artwork of his creation and allow it to point me to the creator, I realize that he has a story. And if somehow that takes me to his story in his word, it's gonna take me to his heart. And if that takes me to his heart, then eventually it's gonna take me to his son. You see, eventually I stand under the stars and I realize there's a creator and the stars will take me to the scriptures and the scriptures will take me to his son. You see, Paul was praying this, I pray that they would know him better. Everybody lean in, because we gotta go somewhere really important here in a second. I, you, cannot know God better until we first know him accurately. We cannot know God better until we know him accurately. And so Paul says, I pray that they would have a spirit of revelation because God reveals his truth, the truth about who he is in creation, 
in the scriptures in Jesus. Everybody listen. There's something really important in this passage I don't want you to miss because I can know, I can know about God, ready, and not know him the way Paul was praying. I can know about God and not know him the way Paul is praying. You can know about something and really not know something. You can know about someone and really not know. You say, Dan, what are you talking about? Well, the truth of the matter is, let me illustrate it. Can I illustrate it for you? The fact of the matter is somebody this morning went and got me this awesome, fresh, out of the bakery, blueberry muffin. Everybody go, mm-mm. Everybody do that. Mm-mm. Blueberry muffin. It's not been out of the oven that long. This thing, I mean, the blueberries in there are huge. They're big. It's flaky. It's moist. You have breakfast this morning? It's looking good. Smells good. I want to tell you guys because I want you to know about my blueberry muffin. So this blueberry muffin came with a little thing on it that kind of described itself. Here's what it says. This blueberry muffin is moist and tasty. Amen? Here's what it says about this blueberry muffin, that inside of this blueberry muffin, you see this blueberry muffin? Did I show it to you yet? Is cane sugar. In here is eggs and water and tapioca pudding. That's awesome, right? In here is rice flour. In here is all kinds of baking powder, stuff I can't pronounce. There's even a lemon peel in here somewhere. Can I get an amen on that, right? This blueberry muffin, this blueberry muffin in and of itself has 300 calories. Who would have known, right? There is 13% fat. There is 13% saturated fat. There is 22% cholesterol. You never eat again, man. There is 12% sodium. Oh, there's 16% carbohydrates. And there's actually three grams of protein in this blueberry muffin. Do you feel like you know my blueberry muffin? All of you in this room know about my blueberry muffin. Every last one of you, because I just told you about my blueberry muffin. But there ain't none of you but me (laughs) who know it like I do. You tracking with me? You're saying, Dan, what's the point? Well, the point is this. I didn't have breakfast this morning. No, that's not the point. The point is this, that in Scripture, Psalm 34, write that down somewhere. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so when Paul is praying, I want you to know him better, he's praying something very specific. The word that he uses is a word that is very specific. There's two words he could have used for no. One is oida, forget that, but he doesn't use it. To know something oida is like I intellectually know the facts about it. Instead, he uses the word gnosko. Gnosko is a word that is full and robust with meaning because to know something gnosko If you trace that back into the Old Testament and you pull out the Hebrew word that would have been its equivalent, you can forget all that. Here's how that word is used. Ready? Adam, you ready? Knew Eve. What did he know? She's five foot nine, brunette. What did he know? Here's what it says Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. I get the feeling that Adam knew more than just facts about Eve. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. What's Paul praying? Paul is praying that I want you not just to know the truth about God, but I want you to have a spirit of wisdom that experiences God personally. 
I need to ask myself this question. Am I experiencing God personally? Because I, this morning, in this room, can know the truth about God. You can know more verses than the person beside you. You can know more verses in the Bible than me. You can win Bible trivia every time and know every fact about God and not know him personally. And what Paul was praying is this, I want you to experience God personally. How does that happen? Four ways that you ought to write down. First one's found in John 17. Here's what it says. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. A little later, John writes this in John 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everybody look here. I just want to talk to you and not preach anymore. You can know God. You can know about God and not know God. The way Paul's talking about. You can know the facts about God and never have experienced God. What is Paul saying? I think he's begging the question, I need to ask, am I experiencing God in my salvation? That the reason Jesus came was that we might know God. That's what John was saying. You see, here's what some of you in the room, in a room this size, chances are you know about God because you're religious. And you know what religion says? Religion says, I know a lot about God and I try to follow the rules of God so that God's cool with me. And that's not even close to anything Jesus was about. Because what Jesus was about was this, is that Jesus came not so that we'd be more religious just to know about God, but Jesus came so that we could know God. And the only way we can know God is if what separated us from God was somehow destroyed. And that's why Max Sidney said yes to Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died a death that he did not deserve so that he could give to us something we could never earn. And that minute, you ready? That minute, the minute these two said yes to Jesus, they have a new, they know God differently. That's why we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One, Jesus said, I want you to do that. Why did he say that? Just so it's a cool way to do it? No, because Max and Sydney sitting right up here have a new relationship with God. God is now your Father. Jesus is your Savior. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're saying, Dan, why are you camping here? Because I believe in a room this size, there's some of you that know about God. You've been religious for a long time, but you don't know God. You've never tasted and seen that God is good. You know that Jesus died. You know the facts. You watch the Passion movie. You know all there is to know about the facts, but you've never made it personal. And realize that when Jesus died, he died for you, that he literally is dying to have a relationship with you. He loves you that much. You see, when Paul is praying, he's praying not simply that we would know the truth about God better, but that we would experience God, that we would know him, that there's this opportunity to have a new relationship with him. But there's something else really important where we get stuck. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this. And we know that we have come to 
What's the word? Say it out loud. We have come to what? Know him if we keep his commands. You got to stay with me. This is going to get uncomfortable. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What's he saying? I would write it this way. I need to ask myself, am I experiencing God in my surrender? In my surrender. You see, the fact of the matter, this is where sometimes we get stuck. We like the idea of Jesus as our Savior. I said yes to Jesus, forgiven of my sins. But the reason I asked Mac and, Max and Sydney this this morning, I said, is your desire to let people know that you're going to, and your desire, the best you can is to say yes to Jesus every day for the rest of your life as the leader in the Lord. If he's good enough to save me, he's good enough to follow. Here's where we need to clear up some things about Jesus. You read the Gospels, check me on this. Jesus didn't go around saying, hey, pray this prayer and get out of hell. Like that wasn't his main message. You know what Jesus' main message was? It was, follow me. And if he's good enough to save me, he's a good king, he's a good Lord, he is good enough to lead me. And what he's saying is this, he says, if you wanna know me, if you wanna know me, surrender. Surrender to me, follow me. Walk with me. It's where we get stuck sometimes. And some of us, we don't know God that way. You know why? You ought to write this down somewhere because the great enemy to surrender, you know what it is? It's compromise. It's compromise. If we're just honest, and we ought to be in this room, it's just compromise. Like the, the truth of the matter is, if we really thought about it, it's really easy for us to pay lip service to God, but it's a different thing to pay life surrender to God. It's easy to come to church. It's a different thing to follow Christ. It's easy to say, Jesus, and sing when Pastor Aiden and Gary are leading us. Man, it's a piece of cake to sing. Jesus, you're my king. But it's a different thing to actually let him rule in our heart. And to know God is to say, I'm going to surrender. You mean when it's easy? Sure. And when it's not? You mean when I feel like it? Sure. And when I don't? Why? Because he's a good king. See, the truth of the matter is it's easy to get the t-shirt and the bumper sticker. It's another thing to say, I'm actually going to surrender. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Well, the truth of the matter is, it's, it's easy to say, yay, Jesus, until somebody does something that really, really messes with me. We just spent five weeks talking about this, and Jesus says, follow me. Well, what do you mean, follow you? Follow me. Well, I'll follow you, but I hate that person, and I'm never going to forgive them. And Jesus is like, Follow me. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those. 
well, Jesus, I'm all about following you, but I, <laughs> I think I can handle this better than you. Or it's one thing to say, Jesus, me and my family, we're gonna follow you. All the men in the room look this way. We're gonna follow you. Like, I'm all about it. Got all the, all the paraphernalia, we're all about it. And then, Jesus, I want you to follow me. That means, young man, I want you to lead in your home by serving your family and your wife by sacrificially loving and by pointing them to me. God, that's a good idea. (laughs) But I'm not really wired that way. And my wife, she's she's a lot better at it. I kind of let her do it. You tracking with me? Since I'm already in, let's just keep going. I meet with hundreds of people. It's one thing to say, Jesus, yes, <whistles> Savior, boom, I'm gonna get baptized, gonna do this. But I wanna do things your way. I wanna know you. Until I meet that gal. She's pretty. She likes me. I know, Jesus, what you say about marriage and the covenant of marriage and the sexual relationship that's best, that, that your plan is, is for that to be enjoyed in marriage. But, but, but Jesus, you don't understand. It's like, man, she, she might get away and, 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 and you don't understand, Jesus. I, you must have been the one that did this, Jesus. You brought her into my life and... Jesus, everyone else is doing it. And Jesus, you made me this way. And so I'm sure you'll understand. You tracking with me? And you know, 1 John says, I'm going to forfeit knowing God when I don't surrender. Why? Why? Because he's like a... No, because he's a good God. I've told you this story before. I had a young gal of mine, lived in our home for a better part of a year. She used to always get in, in all kinds of trouble. She grew up terrible. And she, first time she ever met rules and discipline was in our home, you know? And I had three questions for her. I'd always send her to her room when I disciplined her. And I'd go up 20 minutes later and I'd look her in the eyes and I'd say, do you believe I love you? She swing her legs on the side of the bed. Pastor Dan, I don't know anybody loves me like you and Jennifer. I said, do you trust me? Pastor Dan, I trust you that you want what's best for me. You let me live in your home. And I looked at her and I said, do you believe that I know more than you? A few minutes later, I know you know more than me. You see, we sit on the edge of a bed of our life with a good God that says, do you believe I love you? I loved you enough to die for you. (laughs) Do you trust me? Do you believe I know more than you? Then follow me. Follow me. Some of you in the room, I just feel like I gotta get real for a second, then we gotta fly. I work with young adults. 
So I want to talk to young adults, single, unmarried, whether you're young or not. He says, follow me. He said, I, I want you to follow me and I want you to look for somebody who's following me. Well, I don't know. She's a good gal. She's not really into Jesus. And I may not find somebody else. Do you think I love you? Do you trust me? Do you think I know more than you? See, Paul prays, I pray that they would know him better. (laughs) The book of Philippians, Paul takes it a step further, and and we just got to do this and and then kind of draw this thing to a close. Philippians 3 says, whatever, verse 7, whatever was gain, I now consider loss. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ, for whose sake I've lost all things. He said, they're garbage, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's what Max and Sidney were celebrating this morning. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, everybody loves that, and if he put a period there, we'd all be fine. But I also want to know participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I think here's the question. I think the question is, am I experiencing God in my suffering? Because the truth is, eventually we'll face suffering. We'll face hard times. And if what I, if my experience and interaction with God is I just know about God, I'm religious, 26 years. If I'm religious, but haven't surrendered to God, here's what happens. A lot of times my suffering will draw a wedge But if I know God, if I know God, my Savior God saved me, God, I've surrendered, I trust my life in your hands, God. Here's what John 15 says, that when hard things come into my life, I'm like a branch, and it, that hard time is like a pruning time in my life, and what happens when a branch gets pruned is it draws into the vine deeper. And I think what Paul is saying is this, is that in my times that are hard and dark that we just talked about for the last five weeks, they give me this opportunity to walk with God and know God in a way that maybe I never would have chosen or known had I not walked through that moment. Which leads to one last thing, and I want you to look at this passage and write this down. Psalm 46 says this, be still and know that I am God. Can you write it this way? Am I experiencing God in my stillness? (laughs) When my wife and I were first married, by the way, tomorrow, my wife and I will have been married 30 years. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. You don't look near old enough for that. I appreciate that, bud. <laughs> How did she do it? I don't know. Ask her, right? I remember first married, she asked me to do something. I'm kind of a doer. Is there any doers in the room? Like you just kind of do. So 
So the way I express love to her is like, man, I'm like a maniac. I'm doing stuff and cleaning dishes and whatever, you know. I want to just tell her I love her. And I remember when she said, Dan, would you just stop and come and sit with me and talk? I remember that was like foreign to me. It still isn't that intuitive sometimes to me. I remember I sat with her on the patio of our trailer. I'm like, we're sitting there swinging. And she said, let's just talk. And I'm like, about what? (laughs) Wasn't used to being still. Yet my wife has taught me that in the stillness is when sometimes I have an opportunity to know a part of her heart I wouldn't have known in the busyness. We live in one of the most sedentary times in our culture, and yet we are more distracted than ever. I read an article, and I got to go back and retrace it, that was talking about how many times a day we swipe our phone. The the number would make you want to throw up in your mouth. It's amazing the amount of times we swipe our phone. We're not still. We might sit still, but we're never still. And I think what he's saying is, what if you stilled yourself and know that I am God? Everybody listen. Some of you are swiping your phone right now. I can see you doing it, right? Like, I'm just going to a different chapter. Okay. <laughs> listen, listen. I wonder if we stilled ourselves to know that God is present in this room at this moment. You see, I don't know where you're at this morning. I have no emotion. We're not gonna play music in this emotional plea. I just want you to grab something today. And for some of you, maybe you're rejecting a God you don't know. Some of you might be worshiping a God you don't know. And maybe the implication and application is simply for you to go stand under the stars and allow the stars to draw you to the scriptures. Because if the... Stars draw you to the scriptures. They're eventually gonna draw you to his son who is Jesus. And maybe as you begin to know about this God that you're worshiping or this God that you're rejecting, you'll find out that he's a good God. He's a gracious God. And he loves you to death, literally to death. And maybe for some of you, it's the moment for you to take a bite and see that the Lord is good. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And that's why he came. Not so that you could know more about God, but so that you could know God as your savior, as your friend, as your father, as your Lord. For some of you in this room, maybe the implication is this. You right now are living an unsurrendered life. And God is saying, do you trust me? Do you believe I love you? If I'm good enough to die for you, I'm good enough to lead you. And I want you to know me better. But God, it's not easy to do what you're asking me to do. I know, come on. But God, no one else is doing it. I know, come on. And some of you are in a very dark moment And in the middle of that dark moment is an opportunity for somehow this to begin to happen in your life, to draw in to God in a very, very robust and profound way. For some of you, maybe the application is to take five minutes tomorrow and be still.
and recognize God's presence is in that room. Paul prayed this way for that church. Can I ask you this? What would happen if you started to pray this way for yourself? What would happen if you started praying this way for your spouse? God, I want them to get this job. I want them to, great. But what if you started praying, God, I pray that Joe would know you better. What if you prayed this way for your kids? What if you prayed this way for your friends? What if you prayed this way for your group? What if you prayed, what if some of you in this room prayed this way for Max and Sydney? You wanna know something? I can't promise you that our circumstances would change. I can't promise you the culture would go a certain way. I can't promise you that your person would get elected. I can't promise you, but I promise you something profound would begin happening in your life, in the life of those around you. And so God, I thank you that you love me, invited me to be a part of your family, that you sealed me. There's a security because of what your spirit has done in my life that I am blessed beyond imagination. And I am thankful for the people that I'm able to serve with in this room. I love that you placed me here at this moment in this place with these people. God, I pray. I am asking and interrupting heaven that you would give them, me and us, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. And God, as a result, that we would taste and see that you are good. Thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.